Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hello, hello, hello. It's Holly Rustic here with Grant Writing and Funding, and welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where every week I help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance the mission of your nonprofit or your freelance grant writing business. All right, so this week we have a really special guest on the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, and that's Jess Campbell from Out in the Boons. And I love, love, love her business, how she is helping nonprofits really grow in copywriting, digital campaigns, email writing, creating content, and so much more. So she came on the podcast and has some really great tips for all of you nonprofits out there to be able to really run your end of your campaign. So this is perfect as we are entering into Q4 in 2023 right now, but really for any time of the year, you can be applying um, what she's talking about today. But before we get to Jessica Campbell, I also wanna invite you over to the grant writing and funding website where you can join our Hub Haven. That's our weekly email newsletter series where you can get stress-free nuggets on grant writing, freelance grant writing, and more. And while you're there, you can also grab a free grant writing class if you want to watch that right now to learn our grants formula or grab our five-step checklist on how to become a freelance grant writer. Because our spicy belief is that every grant writer must open a freelance business. Yes, even if it's super part-time and you only take on one client in your entire life, having a business sets you up for financial stability. It also sets you up if you lose your job at that nonprofit, because guess what? A lot of you might actually be on a grant right now that is paying you. What happens when that grant ends, right? There are so many reasons that you can get laid off, fired, and so much more from your nonprofit job as a grant writer that for you to have a grant writing business on the side is essential to being financially secure and to helping really elevate your community because you can work with more than one nonprofit. Make sure you jump over to Grant Writing and Funding, join our Hub Haven, or grab our five-step checklist to start a freelance grant writing business. And a special thanks to Bloomerang. Our friends over at Bloomerang are supporting this episode today. Bloomerang offers donor management, online fundraising, and volunteer management software that helps small to medium nonprofits like First Tee of Greater Akron. After just one year with Bloomerang, First Tee of Greater Akron doubled their unique donors, improved donor stewardship, and raised more funds. To hear more about the full story, visit bloomerang.com, and that's B-L-O-O-M-E-R-A-N-G.com forward slash grant writing podcast. You'll definitely like what Bloomerang has to offer, especially if you're interested in what Jess Campbell is going to talk about today. So back to Jess, she is founder of Out in the Boons, a small shop helping nonprofits discover donors in their email list. She has been a nonprofit fundraiser for 18 years and has raised over $17 million plus working from New York to California in organizations big and small. She is also the founder of the Raise More Together Summit, which
which to date has educated more than 3,000 nonprofit leaders and fundraisers. Before starting Out in the Boons, Jess was the Director of Development for Lift LA, a national organization that empowers families to break the cycle of poverty. Jess also has an undergraduate degree in communication and a master's degree in nonprofit management. She currently lives in Southern California with her husband, her daughter, and their rescue pup, Billy. Find her on Instagram and to see her website and all the things that she has to deliver today, you're definitely going to want to jump over to our show notes and that's grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 292. Oh my gosh, we're almost to 300 episodes. I can't believe it. <laughs> so once again, for all of the show notes, grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 292. All right, without further ado, here's Jess. Welcome, Jess. Holly, it's such a pleasure to be with you. I wish everyone could see Holly because I can look at her and she's like standing and dancing as she does the intro. Oh, they'll see it on the YouTube channel. Yeah, perfect. So it's so fun to connect with you. Like we just spent 30 minutes in the green room, like just chatting and catching up. And what are you doing in your business? This is what I'm doing in my business. I love it so much. I know it's so fun. We have a habit of this every time we chat. I know. And it's so fun. So thank you for that time. And, and, you know, just to introduce you to the folks who are listening, you guys definitely want to stay watching or stay listening because Jessica's going to be talking about something really important and that's end of year campaigns. And we're really looking at month, like how to turn those end of year donors, like you might give those one time into monthly donors. And you're going to talk about some copywriting stuff because that is your jam. Like that's what you're known for. And um, you guys will definitely want to check out and tune in to these secrets and these tips because I know you guys are all prepping for that right now. You're like mm. in launch mode, or yeah, should be. And you really <laughs> want to get those donors, you want to get that infusion of money, then what, right? Thanks for talking about that and, um, you know, like going into the deep there and giving your wonderful experience um, for other people listening out there. My pleasure. Yeah, it's it's a beast of a time of year um, as fellow fundraisers who are in-house at one time. So much is riding on end of year giving for so many different nonprofits. So I see you, I feel you, I hear you. And if you're listening, hopefully you've put in the work of that pre-launch campaign effort. But as Holly mentioned, you know, the statistics that came out for 2022 are real. Retention numbers are down. I think the numbers are around 42% of donors are retaining, which means that for every donor you gain, you will lose more than one, which is just so sad. And I think the numbers are around 18% for donors who give $100 or less. And so to get us off the hamster wheel and to work a little smarter, not harder, I'd love to talk um, about how we can transition those people who are giving a one-time donation during an end-of-year campaign and converting them into monthly donors so that they will retain and give at nine times the rate of a one-time donor. I love that. And, you know, I mean, I love the last part of that. The first part of that's a little bit scary, those stats, and we've been hearing that, you know, and it's like, oh no, you hear that over $100 actually, people are increasing that amount. Is that what I've heard? But you're losing a lot of the, just the, the sheer number of people giving overall. Is that kind of what's been going on? In general, retention is really, really hard right now for nonprofits in general. And let's think about it, right? It's because you run this campaign, you work your butt off for what, three months or however long of 
it's the end of the year. You are probably a little tired, if not burnt out, and you get the money in and it feels so easy, but for some reason, it's so difficult to do the next step, which is thank your donors and then continue to steward them so that mm -hmm. they continue to come back again and again. And just given everything going on in the world and people being just really fatigued in general, nonprofits are having to show up in a more frequent um, yeah. way across more channels to just really be top of mind. And so, yeah, the the retention numbers, again, for folks who are donating $100 and less are only 18%. If you have a category of donors that are giving $75, about 18 of them will come back. So what I teach my clients to do is run a list of all of your end of year donors who are giving $1,500, $250, $100 donations and thank them with gusto. And then immediately after that, I want you to try and convert them into their second gift straight away. So if they gave $100, ask them to give $15 a month. Not only will that get them retaining, that will give, have them giving more. Um, so you just have to do a little bit of math based on their giving level. So it will increase their gift amount and get them retaining. And it's just on autopilot, right? People are busy. I have a feeling that most donors are not giving again because you did something wrong or you don't, they don't like you. It's probably just because they're busy and they have other priorities and that's totally fair. So how do we make this easy for the donor to just not to set it and forget it? Right. And I love that because, you know, looking at a hundred dollar donation may feel like, oh, that's a little tight for some people, but $15 a month. And most people are, you know, spending that on Netflix and Prime <laughs> and Paramount and like, you know, like all of the things, right. It's way more manageable. And then it's, uh, you know, it's, it's more money overall. Mm -hmm. Right. So exactly. 15 times 12. Right. So then you're actually making more than that hundred dollars. So would you kind of have that same ask then it was $250? You'd be like, Hey, $25 a month. Are you kind of like breaking it down in that way? Like exactly. I, it usually shakes out to be like a 15 to 20% donation increase annually. I'm not like Johnny on the spot, but yeah, basically take the donation that they made a one-time gift, chop it up by 12 and then tack a little bit on and ask them to make that gift. And that makes sense, <clears> you know, and then that way they can continue to give. It's more, you don't have to like hustle every year when they haven't heard from you all year. Like then they're on hearing from you more, checking those newsletters, right? Um, those kind of yes. things. And you're actually looking at them because they're like, oh, I see that coming out of my pay or, you know, out of my paycheck or whatever out of my bank account every month instead of that one-time thing that I'm no longer a part of, right? So mm -hmm. is it also just like, mindset where they feel like they're still investing because they are then they they invested so it's kind of like that yeah they're one and done i like to use language when i'm recruiting recurring support as using language like help us be flexible and nimble the changing needs of our program members or help us provide sustainer level support i always try and like have my donors picture a runway of support so that you're not just kind of living paycheck to paycheck and you're able to make bold decisions as a nonprofit organization without the concern of like, are we going to able, be able to keep our lights on next year? Mm -hmm. And the truth is, is funders get that. Like they really do want to be helpful in that way. Of course, they want to support your program and allow you to make big impact in the world and thus they're making big impact in the world. But I don't think any donor is sitting at home or in their car or at their office, not wanting the team that 
that they're behind to be able to do what they need to do. And I tell stories. That's my number one way of communicating with donors or any audience, frankly. And if you can paint the picture and tell the story of what's able to be achieved when you have that kind of expected monthly revenue coming in, it's like, voila. There's this nonprofit organization called Chive Charities. A friend of mine named Erica Carly used to be their director of operations for many, many years. And they have like 4,000 monthly donors and they retain 98% of them. They literally raise like $7 million a year through these $5, $50, $500 recurring donations. And as a fundraiser, I don't know, Polly, this was your experience. When I was a director of development, I would love and dread December 31st every single year Mm -hmm. because in some ways it was the end, but it meant on January 1st, all dials rolled back to zero and I would have to climb the mountain all over again. At Chive Charities, they don't sweat that. They don't have to worry about that because they know no matter matter what, they're getting whatever, like $750,000 a month in recurring donations in July, in mm-hmm. October, in April, it doesn't matter. And so they have all this extra brain capacity to think big, bold, and really solve these like big problems in the world without the worry of like, are we going to pay our staff this month? Are we going to cover our programs this month? Can we pay our electric bill? They're not sweating that. They're thinking up way cooler, bigger, better ideas. I love that so much because I know a lot of you listening or watching, it's the same thing. Like you're thinking about grants and maybe that's all the funny because some of you might have come and you've gotten one grant and that's it for your nonprofit. But the problem with that and, you know, relying so heavily on grants is they're so restrictive and you have to do certain things and there's a duration of time. And a lot of times you have to build up a lot of staff just for the short duration of time. And then what? So what is that sustainability, right? So, and a lot of staff members are like, ooh, my job is dependent on this grant that's ending. What's going to happen? So I always say, you know, even everything's about grant writing and funding here, but it's the and funding part. So I love that Mm -hmm. you're talking about this because I don't think any nonprofit should be exclusively reliant on grants or even heavily reliant on grants. And that's Mm -hmm. why I love donors because donors are going to give you that cash flow, like for the things that you just talked about there, you can open your mind, you can really thank them, you can be engaged, you can, and you don't have that restricted funding, right? Mm -hmm. Sure, you may be raising monies for something specific from your donors, but it's way less restrictive. And you have the ability to meet those needs exactly what you had said, like, let us you know, this will help us and empower our nonprofit during whatever happens. <laughs> we have the capacity to continue, right? So absolutely. I love that. I love yeah, that. Flexible and nimble. Flexible yeah. and nimble. That's what, yeah. Yes, that's what it was. Flexible and nimble. So I love that because, you know, so for you guys listening out there who are heavily relying on grants, really take what Jess is saying to heart right now and start implementing a donor strategy. You want to have support. This could even be a match for a grant, right? Those kind of things, like there's opportunities that exist. So, and this is just going to help you stay connected more to, you know, your cause and help other people also know what your cause is and feel connected to it. So I think that's Mm -hmm. the other thing too, right? It also brings that the awareness of what you're doing to more people and they feel like they're empowered to help you with that change. So can you kind of talk about that aspect of like how you communicate with them? Because you're the copywriting expert. 
Yes. So the time of the recording, I know that this podcast will be released much later in the year, but Neon One, um, which is a tech tool, just released this epic email report. And basically what it comes down to is donors. I think it's 48% of donors. So it's the highest category prefer to receive news updates and ask via email. And in my experience working with, I mean, oh my gosh, hundreds of nonprofits at this point, no one sends enough email. Now, I don't want people to be sending junk email like it needs to be valuable email and if you're in any one of my programs you know what that means um what it isn't is a bunch of announcements with a bunch of graphics where you're doing a bunch of asks all at one time i see a lot of organizations trying to cram every single thing they've ever done in the last 30 days Mm -hmm. and the thing is is there's like real psychological paralysis that happens when you ask people to do too many things at once they just freeze it's kind of like sometimes if you ever go thrift shopping and you have to comb through every little rack it's just like too overwhelming and then you walk away like not buying anything I mean sometimes you want the good hunt and you'll sift through but in general it's just too overwhelming so it's the same principle but what I would advise if you're like but we have all this information that we need to share we have all of this stuff we want people to know about great spread it out over four emails instead of cramming it into one email per month because also at the time of writing or this recording Bed Bath and Beyond is about to go bankrupt Mm. but what I used to say is that how many Bed Bath and Beyond coupon emails are you getting in your inbox every day and how often do you unsubscribe never your email is kind Kind of like a muscle, you do have to warm people up and prepare them to be familiar with you in their inbox, especially because when it's time like this time of year where you're probably sending more email, the frequency is up. You don't want to go from like one email a month to now you're sending like four email ask emails a week that's going to be like sticker shock. It's going to be like, whoa, like, who are you and why are you in my email so much? Versus if you were in people's email, you know, more on a weekly basis, it wouldn't feel like you were turning up the dial too fast on them. It's going back to send more email, Mm -hmm. especially at the end of the year. I don't know what month this is dropping, but I would recommend at a minimum an email a week, if not more between Giving Tuesday and December 31st or January 1st or something like that. I love that because for people on my list, you guys know I email, you know, I email at least weekly more than that normally. And it's the same thing. It's like giving out this amazing content and sharing things and just being, you know, familiar and creating that culture of communication because people are opening their emails, right? They are going in there. That is their home. And, you know, a lot of nonprofits, what I found, and let me know if this is what you found too, Jess, is they may feel like they need to do all of that on social and then they just kind of forget about email because social is like so sexy and whatever. There's a seduction with social media. Like you got to be on there. You're going to get followers, you get likes, but no matter how many likes you get, do those convert all the time into donors? You know, are you still emailing? Because email, like Mm -hmm. you said, that that data, 48%, that's where they want to find those, that information. It's not on social, Mm -hmm. right? So can you kind of talk about that? I mean, I have so many things to say about this. And as someone (laughs) that spent the last three years really busting my butt on social, I've all but given up because I just don't see the ROI compared to my email list. My email list is like my baby. I always say that when someone opts into your email, they have invited you in versus them scrolling on social that they get to decide like if they want to stop or not. As an example, I'm working with um, a startup nonprofit right now Mm -hmm. that has like 46,000 
Instagram followers. They're entirely volunteer run. They're the group of the most badass women. I say all the time, like these women could rule the world. They are so, so, so impressive. And they have an email list of about 6,000, which is not nothing. It's a great start, but compared that to like their 45 or 50,000 followers on the Instagram, they have a lot of room to catch up, right? Yeah. We are about to run a campaign right now. So we've been doing all the warm up emails. They have had consistent, like 50% open rates on nice. 6,000 person list, which is fantastic. But I'm not kidding you. I looked at a post that they posted to their feed on Instagram last week. And it had 23 like 23 against 51,000 followers. That was such um, a confirmation for me because you just have no control over what the algorithm will push, won't push. And it just feels so wasteful compared to your email, which you own, you control. And if you do a good job of telling stories and then directing people to one call to action at a time, yes. they're also getting consistent like three, five, six percent click through rate, which is hundreds of people doing the thing that we want them to do versus on social. It's like, Maybe they'll catch it. Maybe they'll go to the link in bio. Maybe they'll click that link and then actually do something with it. It's just such yeah. a harder conversion. I tell nonprofits all the time, whatever you're doing on social, if it's the majority, inverse that fully. I'm not saying social is bad. It's played a role in all of my organizations and my own business, but I would choose email every day. Yeah, I'm totally aligned with that. And you know, the other thing too is take it, like go in reverse, like then write your emails and all of that fun stuff, then repurpose some of your content and put it on social. Like don't burn yourself out on social just because there's that immediate like oh I got a like I got this I got like you know it's really spend more time in your email right and communicating with people who've actually given money to you right or actually signed up because they're interested in your cause because that's going into their house social is like jumping outside their window trying to get their attention like it's another it's a totally different experience so I love that yeah that you give those tips because it's so great just to be able to get in there. And I love that you also gave the tip of, you know, once a week, email once a week, because some people are like, well, how often should I even email? Because once a month even feels like a lot. It's not, it's not, it's actually not enough. Donors are not going to appreciate that actually, right? Yeah, I think what happens when organizations do once a month, and I see some organizations getting away with it, they have become known where they send an email the last Friday of every month. But what happens again is then when you come to a place where you do want to turn up the dial, especially in like an asking season, suddenly your donor is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You were showing up once a month and now you're showing up almost every other day. Feels like a water hose of information. Mm. And so you have to warm your donors up. So I always say like, don't go from once a month to like once a week, maybe try it every two weeks for a while and then go to once a week. And then once you've been doing it once a week, then you have the ability to show up even more than once a week if you wanted to, because it's like I said, that muscle, you got to prepare people. That happens to me in my inbox. I'll have people that I'm on their list and they're not consistent with email. And then all of a sudden they'll start selling me something or they'll start asking me for money. And I'm like, how am I even on this list? Like I've forgotten about them because yes. that's how unfamiliar I am versus people. There's this woman that I um, look forward to her email 
every single Friday. I read it on Saturday morning with my cup of tea. Like it is something I cherish. I would literally be like searching for it if it didn't arrive around noon on Fridays. That's how much she's trained me to expect and read and she provides such value in there. So it's like this saying that, oh, people have too many emails in their inbox. Don't get me wrong. Yes, I have 4,558 unread emails. Yep. <laughs> but I open and read the ones that are good. And then yeah. I unsubscribe the ones that are bad. Yeah. And that's so great because so if you switch from this just once a year, end of year donation to the monthly recurring, it's not like you're having to ask them to donate every month either. Mm -hmm. Right. Or every week it, you can just be giving like, Hey, you know, this is if your climate change organization. Like this is a policy we're working on or, Hey, look at what's happened. Or there was this press release that went out. Like, you know, you can just share stuff with like, that's what they want. Yeah. The fun part of fundraising, yeah. right? Like yeah. you just get to like be fun. I mean, I do think that it's, important to maybe ask for an upgrade once a year for these monthly oh, donors yeah. in general they can just be the people you get to like love on and be gracious towards update impact information yeah. to like fun part about being a fundraiser yeah and that's cool and then you're like well what about i don't have anything to update well what about you can just like talk about something cool that maybe you found on social media about climate change or whatever your cause is right or something that's going on at the office or you know you can share so many different things maybe a story about one of the staff members oh my gosh yes so creative yes i I always say like you can tell your origin story you can do a roundup of information you can do a story of impact from someone or some place or some dog that you're serving those will never get old ever yeah, I love that so now we're, we are kind of nudging in that content calendar so do you really help people like create a content calendar or is that kind of what you're talking about you kind of dissect or say okay these are things that you can talk about in email and repurpose if you want into social or whatnot yeah so I call it the wave method it's like some seasons it's high volume and you're telling lots of things in one season and then you can kind of draw it back a little bit, right? Like if you picture a stove, like you turn it up and you turn it down, but like it's always on. You're always keeping people simmering. So you have to pick a cadence that works for you and your nonprofit. I always say it's more important to be consistent than anything else. If you're listening to this and you're like, okay, we're not even sending any emails right now. Jess is over here telling me I got to send one email a week. Oh my gosh, kill me now. It's okay. Let's take a deep breath together and we're going to start one a month for a couple months. And then I'm going to push you to do two a month for mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to push you to get up to that one time a week because really that's how frequently you should be in people's inboxes communicating about your work and your events and all the great things that are happening. That will also allow you when it comes like end of your giving season to be able to spend seven, eight, nine emails in the month of December without mm -hmm. people freaking out on you mm -hmm. and being like, oh my gosh, she's sending me so many emails. It's like, no, they expect that now. Yeah. There's also a really important thing that we need to talk about, which is called segmentation. Mm -hmm. And when you are in an asking period and someone gives you a gift, you need to stop asking them for money yes. and you need to thank them. And that's really important that sometimes nonprofits just for whatever reason kind of skip over, but there is nothing that makes a donor feel less seen than them making a donation and you continuing to ask yeah. them for money. So mm -hmm. remember that the people that have given 
they're not going to get all of these emails in an asking season because once they give, they're going to drop off. Yeah. And then you're just going to just work to capture the people who, who haven't yet made a donation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and send the people who have given that thank you, right? And you can have a lot of this automated too, you guys, like if you have an email system. So that's mm-hmm. the great thing is it's not like you have to do all of this by yourself. If you do have something, you can automate some of this. And then the other thing too is they can still receive at least your weekly emails to see how the campaign's going. And, you know, if you do like, the thermometer thing, whatever you're doing for your end of year, like to involve them in it, but stop asking them for it. Yeah. I know that this can, for someone, especially if you're a grant writer listening and you're like, I don't even do this. Okay. Then forward this to your comps person or forward this to the person that does that side of, because to what Holly was saying, you know, having a multi-channeled approach to fundraising is so important. Mm -hmm. I would never recommend anyone to just lean on like this kind of digital email marketing side of fundraising. I think it's important to have a major gift strategy, a grant strategy, a planned giving strategy, like all the things together working is like this flywheel of effect of really efficient fundraising and you'll have the downswell effect of like all these champions and all these advocates of people and volunteers that know about your work and want to cheer you on and celebrate your work but it does take being a bit of a thoughtful planner because you can't decide on December 1st that you're going to now like run this epic campaign I mean I guess you can but you'll probably get really burnt out yeah because it takes like this thoughtfulness of planned communication and a leave it up and then the ask phase and then the gratitude phase. Yeah. And, and, and when you break it down like that, giving yourself more time, giving yourself more of a lead up, it takes a lot of that stress out too. Like, oh, mm. now I know what content I can talk about. I can write these emails. And for some of you, you're still like, I just don't want to write. Like you can hire Jess. There are people out there that do this. But it's like, I'm, well. I'm sure it's like a grant too. Like the first mm-hmm. couple grants I'm sure you ever wrote were probably slow and they probably yeah. took a lot of time and effort. And now that you've done it for a bit of a while, you're probably a lot faster. It's the same with emails. It's the same with any kind of content production. It's the same with even any content ideation. Like people are like, what would I even write about? Now, the way I teach my um, students to come up with stories is number one, Think of everyday things that people connect to. It's you spilling coffee on your shirt. It's you running late at the drop off. It's all these just every, it's the laundry pile that you didn't fold, right? Like tell stories of everyday things and then transition that to make sense to the the thing you want them to do. People really want to see themselves in your content. And it's like, oh my God, I was there too. That was me yesterday. You know, that kind of storytelling is really, really, really powerful. They don't always need to be this kind of climb Mount Everest level story. Everyday stories can be really, really, really impactful. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? I remember my friend, he was doing crowdfunding campaign and the dog had, it was just her said some computers because the dog had knocked over the computer and broke it. So he had a picture of the dog with like no around his neck. You know what I mean? Like, oh, sorry about that. Sorry. Yeah. Funny. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just like you can be candid too, right? You can be like, this is so what candid. happened. This is what we need money for. So even if you have those consistent donors, like sometimes you want to do something specific and raise money for something. So ask mm-hmm. for a little bit more, right? For something mm-hmm. specific. And mm-hmm. you can do that, right? You can do that through being candid and telling those everyday stories as well. So 
I love that so much. And that takes off a lot of stress. So before we close out today, I also want to just ask again about, because as we're publishing this podcast later in the year, so towards end of your campaign giving uh, season. So any other tips, like you've given us so much, like create a runway, create content, start emailing more, right? Um, give value, segment people out that have given, like you've given a lot, but any other tips that you want to drop now during this time of year? Yeah. So when I support nonprofits running a campaign, we just like I was explaining about the different funding categories, we also rely on multi-channel for that too, right? It includes a match donation. It includes some major gift support. It includes even like a, a DM strategy. For example, one of the things that I invite people to try is send what's called an upgrade email. So what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to pull a report of anyone who gave in Q4 of 2022. So the previous year. And I want you to pull a report of anyone who they gave maybe like a thousand dollars and above. If that's kind of your major gift level threshold, if your major gift level threshold is 10,000 and above, like pull that list. And then I want you to send these people a thoughtful note. If you go to my website, um, the fundraising template shop.com. I actually have a free template. That's nice. exactly this. It's called the upgrade email. And I want you to fill it out with your voice and send that to folks and ask them for an upgrade email. So if they gave a thousand dollars last year, maybe you're asking them for 1500 this year. If your major gift level is 500 and someone gave you 750 last year, ask them for a thousand. You're not asking them for the world. You're asking them for an upgrade. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised um, how many people will respond to this. I advise sending this note through your like Gmail or Outlook account. This is not something you should send through like constant contact or MailChimp or an email service provider. You want this to feel like this is coming from a real person. Um, so that's one thing that I've seen a lot of success with. And then the other thing I've seen success with is, as I just mentioned, I have like a bajillion unopened emails and I have, I think four five unread text messages and even less unread DMs. So if there's someone you're really trying to get in touch with and they just like haven't converted, they haven't made their donation or they haven't um, clicked on your button on your emails, feel free to try like a reminder in a text message format or a DM format. Because again, these people are just busy. So if yeah. you send them a note, like if it was a text message, Hey Holly, it's just from reading rainbows. I know you were so generous last year with your gift of a hundred dollars and I'm sure you're super busy, but I wanted to send you the note or a link to make it happen again so that we can provide 333 students in the Capo Valley region with books next year are you in here's the link like whatever the thing is yeah, I'm sure Holly you'll be like oh my gosh thank you like this is yeah. so easy I don't have to dig through my email I'll just right. do it right now that can also be really 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 powerful but those are two kind of out of the box things that folks can try the last thing that I'll just share is I love me some loom mm -hmm. I love me a good yeah. loom video and it's kind of a unique way to surprise and delight donors in their inbox if you're not familiar with Loom, it's L-O-O-M.com. And you can self-record a short video that pops out a GIF. So it looks really kind of fun and animated in your email. And I have yet to have like a human donor not get one and like send me 
a response because they're just really, um, like I said, delightful. Yeah, it's fun. I love video too. Like when you can do customized video, right? To people and you can be like, hey, Jess, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> you, right? Yeah, uh, love seeing you. Thank you. Right. So that's that's really cool too. I love that uh, yeah. so much. We use Loom a lot here too. So absolutely. Yes. It's Such so a meeting good. saver. I love Loom. Yeah. Yes. yeah. One other thing that I think sometimes too, um, nonprofit get a little wrong <laughs> when it comes to end of year giving is you need to have a goal post. Are you trying to raise $24,700 to do something very specific? Say that. Let's ditch the language around like, help support the kids or like, we need yeah. your generosity. You need a number, a specific one, and you need to say exactly what it's going to do. And that will uh, motivate people to actually do something. And I love that. And even like folks, you can really think out of the box on that too. I think it's good because you can say, hey, help us you know, provide X number of uh, meals to this many kids or whatever that is. But remember, you can include your admin, you can include all of the things to run your nonprofit that allow you to deliver those meals. You don't just have to pay for the meals, right? So I think that's mm -hmm. important too. Like really think you still need that parameter, but it's still going to open up and it can be sort of unrestricted in a way, but you're still obviously going to provide whatever you say you're going to provide. But remember to include those other costs if that's really what it costs to provide the meals, mm -hmm. right? So I know grants get a little bit picky about that a lot of times. So, but this is where you have that more flexibility. But I love that too, because people don't want ambiguous, right? They don't really want that ambiguous kind of language. They want to hear specifically what their money is going to do to help. Mm -hmm. So such good tips. Um, and for those of you who are like nonprofit consultants or freelance grant writers, and you're like, oh, I really like what she's talking about. Um, you also have a podcast, Confessions, with Jess and Sydney, Sydney, Cindy Wegman. And you also have, so definitely you guys check that out. It's great. Um, I was recently on there, so it was so much fun. You guys are awesome. They're co-host. It's, it's mm -hmm. so fun. So that's Confessions. And you have a conference coming up in quarter one, which first time ever in person, right? For yes, consultants. So do you yes. want to talk about that for just a minute? And then, um... yes, I know we're like all over the place Um, with I, I, for the listener listening in, <laughs> I do too much. Um, But yes, so for my fellow nonprofit consultants and grant writers, um, I have a conference called Make It Happen. Uh, this time we are going in person because while I love me a good virtual event, I know you, Holly, host one. I host one mm -hmm. too. There is nothing quite like gathering in person yeah. to share ideas, to network, to just like be with all these friends we've met on the internet for years and years in person. So yeah, we're taking it in person. It will be in Southern California in Q1 2024. If you would like more information, you can go to the makeithappenconference.com um, where we'll be releasing everything from the speaker lineup and the agenda to the fun activities, to tickets, to all that jazz. Oh, fun. And such a great place to have it. Southern California. Love it. Yeah. So yeah, I figured awesome. like the people in cold areas wouldn't mind coming to my hometown. Yeah. In the <laughs> yeah. middle of winter. Yeah. They're like, nice, get away. So that's a good time of year there too. Not too hot. Right. And all of that kind of stuff. So I love it. And then for you nonprofits tuning in. Yeah. If you want to get more or more support with and you learn more about how to actually set up these campaigns um, and you really were resonating with what Jess was talking about today. Where can they find you, Jess? Yes. So my website is outintheboons.me. 
You can find me on Instagram at outintheboons underscore. And I also hang out on LinkedIn a little bit um, at Jess Campbell. Awesome. So we'll put all of those links in the show notes too. So you guys can definitely check that out. Um, But thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. And what you have to offer today is just amazing. I know so many nonprofits just are going to get so much out of this interview. So thank you so much for sharing. And I can't wait. You guys are raising money and getting more donors because of this podcast. Please contact us and let us know. Because we know it's going to happen. (laughs) Thanks, Holly. It was so much fun. Yeah. All right. I'll see you next time. I so hope you love this episode with Jess Campbell. I know I did. She is such a delight, so much fun to talk to, and I really love where she's at with her business and how she's also helping elevate the space for nonprofit consultants. She also has a podcast with Cindy Wegman that is called Confessions. If you are a consultant and you want to hear more about behind the scenes with consultants, definitely jump over and subscribe to the podcast Confessions with Jess and Cindy. I was also featured on that podcast, so if you want to hear behind the scenes of my business, definitely jump over and grab that episode. Once again, for all of today's show notes and to find more about Jess Campbell and Alton Booms, go to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 292. And if you love this podcast, please do me a favor. Jump on over to your podcast player, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening from. Make sure you subscribe and please leave a review and a rating. That really does help other eyes and ears get on the podcast. Once again, a big shout out and thank you to Bloomerang for sponsoring this episode today. For more information about Bloomerang and how they can help you with your donor management software, jump over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 292 and you can get everything about Bloomerang plus you can see all the show notes from today. Thank you again for being a change maker in the world and for listening to this podcast. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.